I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Have you come off your sugar high yet? (laughs) Wednesday was Halloween, and we all know that your kids aren't eating all of that candy. Uh, And maybe you don't have kids at home, but if you were at home giving out candy, uh, the chances are you didn't run out. Well, what do you, what did you do with the extra? Have you have you gotten it through your system? Are you are you good now? Uh, the dad tax is in full effect here in our house. We have so much candy. E- each of my children, from the first house they went to, uh, they they had more candy individually than I ever got from a whole night of of trick or treating. Uh, but our our uh, our neighbor likes to really do it up, uh, as as they say. So they they left with a full bag, and and basically we could have been done at that point in time. But we put so much effort into the costumes that we could not stop. We had to go around to other houses, and it's like, do we do we really need to take any more candy? Can we? So what we we decided that we would go around and trick or treat as normal, but then we would give as much as we possibly could uh, to St. Vincent de Paul to let them give out in the baskets, the food baskets that they give out because everyone ought to have some sweets. Uh, No one ought to be deprived of said sugar high. Of course, uh, Halloween is first and foremost a Catholic holiday. It's All Hallows Eve, and that's not a spooky thing. It's the evening, the vigil of All Saints Day, All Saints Day being November 1st, where we celebrate all the saints uh, in heaven, not just the ones who are canonized and certainly not just the ones who have major feast days. We want to recognize all of them and uh, this great cloud of witnesses that prays for us on a regular basis. We want to celebrate their lives and their feast days. And then then we have All Souls Day uh, on Friday, yesterday, where we pray for the souls of the faithful departed, those who have gone... uh, who have left this life in in uh, in the grace of God and the friendship of God, but have not perfectly been uh, freed of the attachment to sin, and so they are being purified through the process of purgation. Uh, at which point in time, when they have been completely cleansed and completely um, freed in their soul from those attachments to sin, they will enjoy the beatific vision, where they will be forever with the Lord, uh, and. Uh, so we pray for them. We pray that, that God would uh, speed that process along, that they would be aided by his grace to let go of those, those things that they're attached to, those things that they hold on to. And the church during this uh, first eight days of November, um, really we pray for the holy souls all the time. We have a special emphasis for them in the month of November, and there's a, a very special emphasis for them in these first eight days of November where there's a plenary indulgence that is attached to it. For us, uh, as we go and, and pray, whether we go and visit a cemetery uh, and pray for the souls there, whether we visit a, um, a church or an oratory and pray the creed and our Father, uh, that we can gain an indulgence, which is the, the complete freeing of temporal punishment, the complete uh, freeing from purgatory uh, for a soul in purgatory. Uh, maybe it's someone that you specifically have a relationship with, uh, a parent, uh, an aunt, an uncle, uh, a close uh, close friend, someone who is a mentor to you, or, or whether there's just uh, a general sense that you 
want to pray for the holy souls in purgatory, you can gain this indulgence, and this indulgence is only applicable. Uh, some indulgences you can apply to yourself or to others. This one is only applicable to those who are in purgatory. And you can get one per day. So uh, if you have people that you love uh, who have passed on, this is an amazing opportunity uh, through your act of faith to, to aid them in reaching the beatific vision. We talked about this about this time last year, October 21st, uh, 2017, with Joe Heschmeyer. Uh, if you if you want to know more about it, we're not talking about it this week, but you can go back to the archives by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, look for episode 154 with Joe Heschmeyer on purgatory and indulgences and, uh, and indulge yourself, as it were. <laughs> so let's go back to, um, to Halloween. We had a, a great Halloween. We let our kids dress up as anything they want to dress up as, so long as it's a saint. Uh, that's kind of how we roll in our house, and, and we have a, a good amount of fun with that. Um, and, uh, and they've come to just expect it. So we had, uh, we had a St. Benedict this year. We had a St. The baby. This was the best one. The baby was uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch. He was wearing a red T-shirt with a pallium, uh, which is the, the little white fabric with crosses on it that archbishops wear. Uh, and there was a, a stuffed lion that was jumping over the stroller and going for the jugular. And, you know, because that's, that's how St. Ignatius passed away. He was martyred. Uh, thrown to the lions, and it was just, you know, it's cute, everyone seeing the little kid uh, being martyred by, by lions, uh, because that's that's how we roll. We had a St. Germain, who I didn't know about before my, my daughter decided she wanted to be this saint. St. Germain cousin, we had, oh gosh, uh, of course, the obligatory St. Peter and St. Mary. And I think about this. One, it's so important for us to appropriate uh, some sense of the lives of the saints because they show us uh, a pathway to virtue as they are the, the great cloud of witnesses who not only pray for us, but through their lives, give us uh, an example of how to live uh, sanctity. And, and I think, gosh, if it were just that easy, if all I had to do were dress up and pretend and that would get me to, to saintliness, gosh, wouldn't Christianity be so easy to pull off? I just throw on, uh, throw on the, the, the old period clothing and I'm good. Uh, and yet, in a way, that's exactly what we're called to do. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the book of uh, Colossians, it talks about this, put on holiness and so it may feel like acting, but that's, you know, eventually we get to a place where it's no longer acting. It is who we are as we continue each day to put on virtue and to take off vice. Uh, and so this is what we are called to every day, to dress up like the saints, not in our externals, but in our heart, to put them as an example in front of us, to look at their lives and say, that's what I want to look like today. We're talking today with Father Bill Watson. He's from Sacred Story Institute. We're going to talk about just this, how to put on the life of the saints in just 15 minutes a day and strive for holiness in our everyday lives. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and today we are in Seattle, sitting in the uh, in the tower overlooking Seattle University, sitting with Father Bill Watson, uh, Jesuit. Jesuit, yes. Of course, this is a... Uh, the school is a Jesuit school, yes. and you're part of that community, but not part of the school. Yeah, my institute is uh, an independent. I have my own board of directors. Mm-hmm. And so the institute is the Sacred Story Institute. Correct. And this is uh, a, a very unique iteration of Ignatian spirituality. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, what Ignatian spirituality is in a very general generic sense and then we'll drill down into uh how what sacred story institute takes from that and how it's really i think in some ways tailored to a person like me who is uh, not in religious life but is able to take those principles and then make a profound difference in the way that we live our lives excellent very good would you like me just to uh Roll off here on Ignatian spirituality. Absolutely, I will. I will pretend I'm an expert. I think I know. I know quite a bit. There's people who may know more than me, but um, Ignatian spirituality. In some ways, I like to think of it more as the process of conversion, as laid out in the scriptures in the New Testament. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola was a soldier. He was from a mid-tier noble family. Uh, He wanted to make his way in the world. Uh, He was a man, as he says in his autobiography, where he was given over to the vanities of the world and he wanted to win great renown. Uh, His uh, uh, Jesuit companions who were helping write his autobiography uh, said of him that uh, he was not necessarily a very good person when he, before his conversion, uh, that he had a number of addictions, including addictions to gambling. Mm-hmm. So he was a very courageous person. He wasn't very tall. He was probably about 5'2 five, five or 5'3. But he had a, an incredible, uh, powerful ego and personality. So he's 30 years old. He is uh, a soldier. He is in the town of Pamplona, where we still have today the running of the bulls. Mm-hmm. And there's a if, it's, if anyone's ever been to Pamplona, there's a it's a kind of a medieval walled town, so there's a huge wall to protect uh, the town from the oncoming hordes. So there was a uh, a small group of Spanish soldiers, 400. He was one of the knights, and there was an approaching army of 10,000 French who were far superiorly armed mm-hmm. and probably more seasoned in battle. And so Ignatius, in fact, this is in the very opening paragraph of his autobiography, where he said uh, he persuaded the commander of the Spanish forces to stand up and attack uh, the French, 400 to 10,000. And he did this over and against the objection of every single other knight. Hmm. So his ego and his force of his will prevailed. So a cannonball hits him. He's the first one injured. He falls. They lose uh, courage, and they surrender. So his leg is damaged. Uh, It's the age of chivalry. He's about 60 miles as the crow flies from his home in Loyola in the Basque country of Spain. The French put him on a litter. They set his leg. 
uh, the leg is not set properly. He gets home, and because he said he wanted to make his way in the world, he didn't want his leg to be disfigured when he went back to court because men in those days wore uh, stockings, Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to have any disfigurement because he wanted to be attractive to the ladies. Right. Uh, So uh, he said uh, against the uh, wishes of his older brother, who was seriously alarmed, he had his leg rebroken. Right. Uh, and he almost died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I refer to it as, in my work as a dangerous cosmetic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in some ways, it's that ego and that pride that ultimately led to his conversion because it's the convalescence with that second break. That's right. Where he is then in, engaged with the stories of the life of the saints and the stories of the life of Christ, right. where he witnesses this heroic virtue and, of course, he's enamored with heroism right. and wants to model that and finds in these stories the, the greatest heroism he's ever seen. Right. So if it weren't for his pride, if he was fine looking a little bit disfigured with one leg shorter than the other, we would never have the Jesuits as we know them today. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And, and in fact, his pride led to that, that second surgery and his long convalescence. And he wanted... Uh, novels brought to him, which were uh, customary for the men of his day, his class. I call them a combination between a Harlequin romance and a Tom Clancy novel, kind mm-hmm. of how the the knight wins the hand of the lady in waiting. But there was nothing in the castle, so all we had, as you said, was the imitation of Christ in the book called The Golden Legend, which were all the miraculous stories of the saints and uh, St. Francis talking to the wolf of Gubbio, mm-hmm. so all the, all the miracle stories of the saints. Right. So that's all he has feeding his imagination during this long convalescence period. And he starts thinking, as you said, well, it, well it, in terms of pride and ego, well, if Francis could do that, I could do that. <laughs> and if Dominic could do that, I could do that. Uh, so the, so the, the, the vanity is still there, but it's kind of transfiguring into a spiritual landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he is sitting one day and he's fantasizing about this new possible spiritual reality. And then he's thinking about his old life, what he calls his vain fantasies. Mm-hmm. And he is considering how he is going to win the hand of, the, uh, of uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand of their daughter in marriage. You know, here he is kind of a, a low-level nobility and how he's actually, he has enough ego sense to think that he can uh, win the hand of the daughter of the King and Queen of Spain. So that's one set of fantasies that he is working on. The other set of fantasies are doing what the saints are going to do, going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So these dueling fantasies go back and forth. And I tell people, I said, there's a, a million and one different kinds of fantasies that any person can have, but there's only two directions, either towards God or away from God. Mm-hmm. So basically, he had his vain, self-centered fantasies, and he had his more holy, uh, God-centered fantasies. And he's going back and forth, and one day he said he noticed a difference between the two of them. And the difference he noticed was this. When he set aside his vain fantasies, he said kind of the afterglow effect was that he felt dry and dissatisfied. And then he noticed when he set aside the holy fantasies and stopped actively thinking about them, that he still felt peaceful and content. And he was given to understand that the fantasies, uh, the holy fantasies, because of his affective state of peace and contentment, in contrast 
to dry dissatisfaction was that those holy ones were his true identity. Mm-hmm. So that, in essence, in some ways, is the beginning and the very core of Ignatian spirituality and discernment. It is the attention to one's interior affective states to get a sense of, is this of God or not of God? Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Father Bill Watson. Uh, one of the other things I'm very interested in is this concept of imagination in Ignatian spirituality. And, and I'm, I don't completely understand its place, but we see it here with, with even in his own life as he's having these, uh, these ideas and these dreams and desires being able to to then weigh those and measures those. How does that play out for us in terms of imagination in the place of Ignatian spirituality? Well, it, it comes principally in his uh, spiritual exercises where he has meditations and contemplations on the gospel stories. And the best way that I describe it to people is uh, that you can close your eyes or you can sit in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament or you can be in your prayer corner in your room and you're reading a scripture passage. You read it through once, and then you close your eyes, and you kind of see it, maybe like a movie in your own imagination. And you see the different characters and the different players, and you insert yourself into the story. Because the the scriptures are a living word. right? So it's not something that happened way back then. It's something that is still happening. And the activity in the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and a heart open to God and reading those scriptures is very, very powerful. So, for instance, let's take the story of the rich young man. Uh, You can place yourself in the crowd. Mm -hmm. You can hear the young man come up to Jesus and ask the question, and you can hear Jesus' response. You know, no one is good but God. I've done all these. There's one thing you lack. Mm -hmm. Go sell all that you have and come follow me. And I imagined in my own imagination, my contemplation, that Jesus had seen this guy maybe for two or three days, maybe he was in the same town preaching. Right. And so I imagine the guy started off in the back of the crowd and then gradually was moving forward, and it was in the front this time. And so Jesus could see his desire. Yeah. And so what he offers him is what he knows is in his heart. I want to be with you. Right. Uh, so this is my, my interior film playing out, and I'm watching the, uh, the discourse back and forth between them. And then where it says, uh, when Jesus offered this to come be with me, sell what you have and come be with me. It says the young man went away sad for he had many things. Yeah. I also, within that, it says that Jesus looked at him with love. He looked at him and loved him. So he's he's not doing this to try and trap him like no. he does with so many of the no. others or try to trip him up. Here we have a an invitation. We could have had 13 apostles. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. sure. There's another invitation to sure. follow. That, that ended up not being taken up. And then you can, uh, you can continue your contemplation on that, and you can imagine yourself then coming up to Jesus and saying, what do I need to do? Yeah. And then you can hear in your imagination Jesus' response back to you. I think that that kind of imagination tells us so much more than the text because we tend to look at these stories as stories, uh, and we miss so much of the detail. Correct. Uh, the first time that I... I did something along these lines was the story of the, the loaves and fishes. And as you're reading it, it's like, Oh yeah, Jesus blessed it and all the, and told the disciples to give it out. Well, I'm sitting there and saying, okay, if I'm in the crowd, what am I seeing and what am I experiencing? And what I see is that Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it and then says, okay, now you go hand this out. 
with no apparent change. It's not like all of a sudden, uh, poof, there's now a mound of bread. They Correct. still have the bread. And so I'm like, if I were that disciple and I'm given the task of taking this bread and giving it to 5,000, I can just imagine taking little pinches at the very beginning and right. <laughs> handing it out to try and, okay, well, he said to do this, but it's through the act of obedience that we see the miracle take mm-hmm. place. And so I think so many times we expect in our own lives that God's going to answer our prayers in some dramatic, huge manifestation rather than walking in obedience to the little things that we've been given and through that obedience, finding the answer to our prayers. Yeah. And I like to tell people, especially on retreats that you may have come here, you know, uh, looking for an answer for this thing in front of you. And I says, you always have to be prepared for Jesus to be behind you, tapping you on the shoulder Hmm. and pointing in a different direction. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get what you want. It means that you might not really know what you want or you don't really know the pathway to get what you want. And Jesus is showing you the true way. Mm -hmm. So you always have to be ready to be kind of uh, surprised. Yeah. I think that's a trap we can easily fall into is to say, well, I know exactly what uh, following Jesus is like. And I know exactly where Jesus is going to lead me. But as a disciple, as one who is following Christ, we have to let him take the lead We're talking today with Father Bill Watson of Sacred Story Institute. Find out more about them over at sacredstory.net. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere because there's much more to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. We're talking today with Father Bill Watson. Uh, He's a Jesuit and the founder of Sacred Story Institute. You can find out more information about them at sacredstory.net. And so you've taken um, some of the work of St. Ignatius and made it, I think, a little bit more accessible to those of us who don't live the the full uh, life of religious orders. Uh, and so I, I saw on, I think, one of your websites, change your life in 15 minutes a day. Make your life a sacred story in 15 minutes yeah. a day. It's kind of like those late night infomercials, right? If you if you exercise 15 minutes a day, it's like, oh, I could, I could do that. And some people actually pull it off and, and people like me, you know, you might get into it for a while and then and then you, you trail off. But 15 minutes a day is one of those things that feels manageable. To say, okay, if I could really find conversion, if I could really deepen my relationship with God in 15 minutes a day, why wouldn't I? So talk a little bit about Sacred Story Institute, where it came from, and and how we can get involved with it. Okay, I'll make a confession in terms of the the 15 minutes a day is the length of time Ignatius uh, gave to the his examination of conscience. I call it Sacred Story Prayer. Uh, and I tell people, they say, well, why is it your institute called that? I say, well, I said Sacred Story Institute is uh, a little better marketing than the Institute of the Ignatian Examination of Conscience. <laughs> it has a little more kind of traction with people in their in their lives. But I'll tell you the story. I was working at Georgetown University. I was director of retreat programs. I was on my spiritual sabbatical year away. It's called tertianship for the Jesuits 
where you kind of live the novitiate year over again. You make the 30-day retreat. You have conferences. and you, The goal is to get away, get detached, and to become open to God's will in your life. Mm-hmm. So what I discovered on my 30-day retreat is that my life had gotten uh, off course. I had focused more on developing my career uh, and my work. I was doing good work, um, but I had kind of lost my religious uh, focus to my work. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to uh, keep it because the retreat was very powerful and I didn't want to lose it again. And I knew I was going back into a very, very powerful world in Washington, D.C. and at Georgetown University. And so I was becoming anxious about how I was going to do this. And then I got an article in the mail the next day on the uh, the practice of the Ignatian exam. And I thought, that's it. And that's something that I had stopped doing about six years before. Hmm. So I reincorporated it into my life, went back to Georgetown. And I realized, too, at the same time, I was doing wonderful retreat programs for people of all ages, alumni, faculty, board members, undergraduates. But the real challenge was, how do you stay connected to God in the day-to-day? Right. So for the last 20 years, I'd been thinking about this discipline and this practice. Um, I did my doctoral work at Catholic University, doctorate in ministry, on the structure of the Ignatian Examination of Conscience with an idea of creating this institute for the purpose of unlocking the power of Ignatian spirituality in the form of the Ignatian Examination of Conscience for people of all different age groups so that there would be uh, ways for grade school kids, people in parishes, to find a way to connect to God in in the day-to-day. And I think that's really um, the goal of what we're trying to do. And I tell people that the success of the Jesuits in their first 200 years were promoting two spiritual disciplines. It wasn't the 30-day retreat. Very few people were invited into that. The Jesuits promoted Ignatius's version of the examination of conscience, and they encouraged frequent confession. Hmm. And it was those two spiritual disciplines that really formed the pastoral success and the foundation of the Society of Jesus as a great order. Well, and frankly, I know when I am attending confession regularly, I start to notice that certain little sins aren't so little. They're bigger than I think they are. And it's like, oh, well, I confess this. And then uh, I think, oh, I've got a pretty good handle on it. And then I realize, oh, two weeks later, I'm confessing the same thing. Oh, wow. Two weeks later, it's the same thing. Wow. There, maybe there's something more to this than I first thought. And maybe this is a bigger stumbling block than I thought. And so the idea of frequent confession is, I think, truly a path to holiness because we're seeing the things that stand in the way between uh, us and sanctity. That's very true. And uh, Ignatius, in his uh, conversion awakening, uh, when he uh, he woke up after he had that awareness of those two different directions and the Holy One was where God was, it was then that God opened his eyes up and he says in his autobiography he realized he needed to do much penance for his past sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And then his conversion continues and he goes to Montserrat and where he has a, a deeper conversion. So in terms of the examine, I like to describe it as a forensic prayer. Mm-hmm. So but, take us through that forensic prayer. What does the, the examine look like, specifically Ignatius's examine, and how, do, how is it different from what came before? Well, there were hundreds of versions of the examination of conscience, all of them based in one way, shape, or form on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Ignatius, when he went to Montserrat to make his whole life confession or a confession of his whole life, 
what you did back then is you were given lists and lists and lists of sins of every shade and color and, and magnitude. Mm-hmm. And you wrote out your confession. It took him three days to write out his confession, remembering everything that he had done. And then he handed that uh, letter to his confessor. So that's how you made a confession back then. But the purpose of the Ignatian examine is to look at what Ignatius discovered in his first awakening where he saw all the general dysfunction in his life. And then when he got to Montserrat and his conversion deepened, he had to confront the core part of his heart that said no to God. Mm-hmm. So he calls this in, his, in the exercises, there is the general examination of conscience, and then there is the particular examination of conscience. So the process that you were describing in terms of awaking to your sinfulness, I would say that maybe those smaller sins have a core or a root in a deeper sin, right. your core sin. And so what you're doing, and this is why people don't like to do the examine, is because <laughs> it, it shows them where they need God as Savior in their life on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And many of us simply want to kind of get to the point of clear and holy so we don't really need this stuff anymore. Right. And I always tell people that if you keep focusing 15 minutes a day, once or twice a day, uh, where you need saving... I said, you may not feel holy, but you are becoming holy. And I tell people, too, that if you want to be holy, you have to be willing not to feel holy. Mm. We're talking with Father Bill Watson of Sacred Story Institute. So now how does Sacred Story and the the various programs and books that you have, how does that uh, engage with me to get me on this Ignatian path and on this way of really pursuing holiness through this examination? Well, I wanted to create uh, resources first for adults, and I wanted to create a program. My main adult program is called 40 Weeks in Ignatian Path to Christ with Sacred Story Prayer. It has three components to it. The first part leads up to a whole life confession, so you're doing what I call uh, spiritual archaeology on your life history, and you're looking at your life holistically, and then you make a whole life confession. Part two You're learning the five movements of the Ignatian examination of conscience. I have put them in five words, and they're authentic to Ignatius' original. So I call it creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. So you're giving gratitude to God for the gift of creation and the gift of your life. Presence, you're looking at where you are right now in terms of that affective status, consolation, desolation. Memory, you're looking back over the half day or the day to how your activities and actions impacted you in terms of those two different movements of consolation and desolation. Um, uh, Mercy, you are asking for forgiveness for what you didn't do or what you did do. Uh, And then eternity, you're moving back in your day with a focus on your eternal end and kind of a resetting on true north. Mm -hmm. So I have taken this discipline and I've created programs for pre-K through uh, eighth grade kids with versions of the examination of conscience. I have the adult program, uh, 40 weeks. Uh, So the third part of the adult program is in learning spiritual discernment. Uh, I have pulled out the whole life confession part as another parish book that people can use, a shorter one uh, for Advent or Lent. Uh, I've done an Ignatian version of the rosary, kind of in a structure of an examination of conscience. Each mystery has five different things that you're looking at. We are creating multiple versions of 40 weeks for different target audiences. We have our first one came out for people who are incarcerated or in prison. Mm-hmm. We've got one that is about two weeks away from getting published, which is a collaboration between myself and Dr. Bob Schutz 
in Sarasota, Florida, who is a, a Catholic lay psychologist who has a very big healing ministry with priests. So it's a version that we, we brought diocesan priests through the program. I was giving the data from our research site to Dr. Schutz, and he wrote a unique reflection based on what the priests were experiencing and his own healing ministry for each of the 40 weeks. So we're, we're creating multiple resources. In January, we're releasing our final age platform, and it's going to be for young adults. I say young adults of any age. Right. And it's going to be called True Heart, A Way to Selflessness. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, using the disciplines of Ignatian spirituality, but packaging them in a way where people can pick up a book and do it on their own. Now, of course, people can pick up a book and do it on their own. Uh, there's also some of your things are available um, through presentations on uh, forum.org. Um, but you also have retreats. How would someone find out uh, if a retreat's going to be in their area or to bring you out for a retreat in their area? Well, the retreats that I do now, just because of the busyness of the Institute, I will do uh, five-day retreats for diocesan priests for a diocese. Mm-hmm. But I also come out to a diocese to give a presentation to multiple parishes on how to implement our programs. So if uh, people in a diocese want to bring me in for a day or two, I can give them uh, a seminar on how to implement the programs. Because what I am trying to do, I am trying to make myself uh, unnecessary. And I'm trying to create the programs that can be lay-led with the encouragement of the pastor and give people all the resources they need to implement at the local level. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Ignatius was about continual conversion, the, a lifetime of conversion. Uh, as you have worked with uh, creating these materials, creating these books, what has been the most surprising thing for you in your own spiritual development through creating these and, and then helping to implement them? Well, it's I, th- I think remaining faithful to the 15-minute discipline is really key. And... Uh, I, people can binge watch, you know, f- six episodes of a food program, right. but they can't find 15 minutes to do a prayer. Mm-hmm. And again, it's because it brings you it's it brings you close to that place in your heart or in your life where you need God's healing touch. And it's scary for many people to get there, mm-hmm. which is why the most common phrase in the Old and New Testament is be not afraid. And uh, so people need to learn to let Jesus, I like to call him the divine physician in my books, uh, heal them because he came to heal not the righteous but the sinners. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can open up like Ignatius did, and Ignatius did his examination of conscience every day till the day that he died, which means that you're never not going to need God as Savior until we're on the other side of the great divide. And I love that, that image of looking at our sins not so much as, oh, man, I screwed up again, Uh, but where do I need God to save me today? Yeah, and it's like Therese of Lisieux, you know, had a very uh, uh, holy focus of it. She she used to try to find some new area of her life every day where she was out of whack or sinning because she wanted to give it over to the Father. So there's this great sense of love and trust in God's mercy. We've been talking today with Father Bill Watson of Sacred Story Institute. Go to sacredstory.net. Look at their resources and implement them in your lives 15 minutes a day to make your life a sacred story. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our faith on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and today we have been talking with Father Bill Watson. Uh, he is the, the founder and director of Sacred Story Institute. Go to sacredstory.net. Uh, using their resources, make your life a sacred story in just 15 minutes a day. We talked at the very beginning that sometimes the path to sanctity is just by putting on sanctity every morning uh, or doing something each day to say, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change the way that it is. I'm going to put on the things that a saint would put on. And maybe that isn't their costumes like with our children. Maybe it is putting on uh, patience, the patience of St. Therese of Lisieux, who endured the annoying habits of her of her sisters. And by their annoying habits, I don't mean uh, their, their religious garb. <laughs> Rather, I mean, there was one sister who banged her rosary against the, uh, the front of the pew every, uh, every rosary, and it drove St. Therese crazy, and yet she, she put on sanctity. She put on patience, and she allowed uh, the, that frustration to be worked out of her by the grace of God. Uh, so rather than allowing herself to be overcome by those emotions and overcome by the frustration that came with that annoying act, she allowed that frustration to perfect her, to chisel off those rough edges. And that's the same way that we become saints by, by letting ourselves be clothed in sanctity, putting on the things that would make us look like saints and taking off the things our our vices, our impatience, our anger, our, our stress, and taking those things off and trusting in the provision of Almighty God. And the resources over at sacredstory.net will help you figure out how to do this regimen, 15 minutes a day uh, toward a life of sanctity. If you missed any part of the episode, you want to listen to the whole thing again, or you want to share it with your friends, whether it be through social media or any other way, uh, all the episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Go there and listen to it as many times as you want till your heart's content. And if you just can't get enough, well, there's even more to this conversation with Father Bill Watson available to those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com listening again to this fantastic episode, uh, click that Patreon link. It says support the show. Uh, that will take you to a page where for as little as $5 a month of supporting this show and keeping us on the air, keeping these, these uh, wonderful interviews coming your way, you also get extra segments each and every week with our guests about the topic. A little bit of a deeper dive as a gratitude for all those who make this show possible. You can find that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link. Join the numbers of those who support us. Let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. And of course, because we're right in the middle of this season of looking at the saints, this is what our readings are about as well. Our first reading comes from the book of 1 John, where we hear this. Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him 
makes himself pure as he is pure. That reading comes from the book of 1 John, and I saw something for the first time today as I read this, uh, is that, of course, we don't know yet what our sanctity looks like. We don't know yet what the beatific vision is. We uh, can can imagine, uh, we can see through a veil rather dimly, and yet there's so much that we don't know. But for the first time today, I read this a little differently. There at the end, it says, uh, everyone who has this hope based on Christ, on him, makes himself pure as Christ is pure, right? And I've just always read this in the past as being the fact that we are God's children, that God makes us pure in this, in this process. But that's not what John says here. John says that everyone, you and I, who have the hope based on Christ, we make ourselves pure as Christ is pure, as uh, through imitation, through um, whatever the case may be, knowing that it is the, that purity of heart by which one sees God. That's in, in, the, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so it's it's that hope that drives us to make those changes, to go and for 15 minutes a day, to do that examination of conscience, to say, am I living the life that I want to live? Is the the habits and the, the structure of my day, is it helping me towards sanctity? Is it helping me become more like God? Or is it pulling me away from God? And to use the examine or some other strategy for us to make ourselves pure for the sake of coming to be more and more like him because we are God's children now. And what we, what we shall be has not yet been revealed. But we strive for it. We long for it. We look for it. And we trust that Christ has redeemed us to the Father, that Christ has made it possible for us to grow in sanctity, and that Christ has made it possible for us to become saints. Our reading from church history comes from the breviary on All Saints Day. This is from a sermon by St. Bernard. Why should our praise and glorification, or even the celebration of this feast, All Saints, mean anything to the saints? What do they care about earthly honors when their heavenly Father honors them by fulfilling the faithful promise of the Son? What does our commendation mean to them? The saints have no need of honor from us. Neither does our devotion add the slightest thing to what is already theirs. Clearly, if we venerate their memory, it serves us, not them. But I tell you, when I think of them, I feel myself inflamed by a tremendous yearning. Calling the saints to mind inspires, or rather arouses in us, above all else, a longing to enjoy their company, so desirable in itself. We long to share in the citizenship of heaven, to dwell with the spirits of the blessed, to join the assembly of the patriarchs, the ranks of the prophets, the council of the apostles, the great hosts of martyrs, the noble company of confessors, and the choir of virgins. In short, We long to be united in happiness with all the saints, but our dispositions change. The church of all the first followers of Christ awaits us, but we do nothing about it. The saints want us to be with them, and we are indifferent. The soul of the just awaits us, and we ignore them 
Come, brothers, let us at length spur ourselves on. We must rise again with Christ. We must seek the world which is above and set our minds on the things of heaven. Let us long for those who are longing for us. Hasten to those who are waiting for us and ask those who look for our coming to intercede for us. We should not only want to be with the saints, we should also hope to possess their happiness. While we desire to be in their company, we must also earnestly seek to share in their glory. Do not imagine that there is anything harmful in such an ambition as this. There is no danger at setting our hearts on such glory. When we commemorate the saints, we are inflamed with another yearning, that Christ our life may also appear to us as he appeared to them, and that we may one day share in his glory. Until then, we see him not as he is, but as he became for our sake. He is our head, crowned not with glory, but with the thorns of our sins. As members of that head crowned with thorns, we should be ashamed to live in luxury. His purple robes are a mockery rather than an honor. When Christ comes again, his death shall no longer be proclaimed, and we shall know that we also have died, and that our life is hidden with him. The glorious head of the church will appear, and his glorified members will shine in splendor with him when he forms this lowly body anew into such a glory as belongs to himself, its head. Therefore, we should aim at attaining this glory with a wholehearted and prudent desire that we may rightly hope and strive for such blessedness. We must, above all, seek the prayers of the saints. Thus, what is beyond our own powers to obtain will be granted through their intercession. That reading comes from the feast day of all saints by a sermon from St. Bernard. Ask the saints for their intercession. Get to know them in their lives. Something that we do in our family is we listen to the lives of the saints on audiobook during dinner. Uh, it's a free website called catholicaudiobooks.wordpress.com. All of these are public domain books that we listen to to learn about the saints. And we've done uh, St. Anthony of Padua, St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux, St. Teresa of Avila. And we've learned so much through these biographies that have inflamed our own hearts to seek that same sanctity. Uh, as well, we've just invited them into our homes and, and begun to ask them to pray for us because they who are enjoying that beatific vision, they're in the presence of God. They want that same thing for us, as St. Bernard said. They long for our company to join them. We can do that by asking for their intercession. And while you're at it, pray for the souls of the faithful departed. Pray for those who are in purgatory, longing for that same beatific vision. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Kerry Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.